I'm Katie J. And I'm Katie H. Welcome to the Katie's. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Katie's <laughs> podcast. I always love waiting for what you're going to do. I, I know we've said this before, but the best part is me frantically making eye contact with Katie we're just from like, across the table where when I'm deciding what voice I'm going to say, hey, yeah. welcome back. Such a comedian. It's uh, the best. Yes. Oh, man. It's well, a bit. It's a bit. It's all, Life's a bit. You know what it I mean? It is all a bit. <laughs> um. <laughs> We gather myself. So, <laughs> welcome back to our church series. We are so excited to have you with us today. We're going to be taking a few steps back and starting somewhere just really foundational. This is going to be something that comes up a lot in all the future creeds and splits and church history things that happen. This is going to be a big issue that different denominations and Protestantism and Catholicism and Orthodoxy, all these different things are going to have different opinions on this issue. Yeah. Um, but we want to talk about the biblical foundations for it and some of the basics and give you some resources to look into more information for yourselves mm-hmm. moving forward. We're going to talk about baptism today. Are you dunk or sprinkle? <laughs> Well, we're going to talk about why... Forwards or backwards? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about why, biblically, the foundation is actually for dunking Mm -hmm. and not for sprinkling and not to upset any Catholics here. But you're doing it wrong. (laughs) We actually might be upsetting a few Catholics here in this episode, but it's going to... Yeah. Um, They'll live. (laughs) And we still love you and we can agree to disagree. Yes. So, Katie, I thought it would be fun here to just maybe share when we got baptized and what that looked like and how old you were, all that stuff. What was your baptism? Um, I think I was like 11 or 12 and I decided I needed to be baptized, Mm -hmm. which I'm really happy that I waited until I was older and I had like an understanding of God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I just got baptized at our church in front of our congregation. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the, (laughs) one of the pastors saw me walking through the parking lot afterwards and he goes, you know, this means you have to be nice to your siblings every single day of your life now. And I was like, girl, I know that's not what it means, but like, okay. Um, Can I guess later which one that was? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And then I, I don't know, it was great. And I remember feeling the love of the Lord so close Mm -hmm. and that thing felt like a really nice hot tub. They keep it at a nice temperature. Keep it nice and warm. I was like, do I have to get out? And they're like, the next person's yeah. coming. And I was like, okay. There's always the line. Yeah. People frantically handing you a towel. Yeah. yeah. Then coming and praying, you know, the yeah. whole thing. Can but- you tell we're not denom? Yes. But it was it was excellent and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Maybe That's being cool. like baptized in the Jordan or something. Yeah. I have a friend that just got baptized in the Jordan and I was like, mm, pretty sweet. <laughs> not fair, but okay. Pretty sweet. I first got baptized when I was five or six. I like was not told to. I like begged my parents to get baptized. (laughs) And my dad actually, he was baptized either never or as an infant, which I don't, I don't know why he would have been baptized as an infant. Mark Bailey, can you confirm or deny? I actually, yeah, I don't really know what his deal, I should ask him. (laughs) Either way, What's he got deal, baptized bro? with me. So we Aww. did this at our old church and um, I like we did a whole class together and this whole thing and got baptized together, which was really sweet. Um, but I was also like literally five years old. And so I didn't remember it. 
Um, not that that doesn't make it valid necessarily because it was of my own free volition. Yeah. But I then as a teenager, I think I was 16, I had come back from a summer camp and had a like really profound encounter with the Lord, not just like a touchy feely like church camp experience. I had like a really significant time with the Lord and he'd asked some things of me and I'd made some commitments and all this stuff. So it was like a it was a big deal. And there was a baptism a few weeks later. And I like talked to my parents and talked to my small group leaders and just kind of decided like, you know, I really like, I think this is a good symbolic thing for me to do. I don't think it was necessary for me to be baptized again, but I think it was appropriate. And so I was baptized. And I, like you said, I totally remember just being like filled with the Holy Spirit and this like energy and excitement and the like symbolism of like my like attaching myself to the like church that I was in and like proclaiming like I am <laughs> I am one of this yeah. body and I'm making these commitments and you know it's like a very evangelistic thing too of just like this is this is what I believe this yeah. is me like I align myself with Christ um did baptisms now have me weeping like a child oh I cry every time I, and I yeah no like I'll be standing there like full grown man tears coming down my face and I'm like this is Mm -hmm. so beautiful but it's truly amazing and the joy that comes off of the people when they're baptized like we can't make this up or conjure it it's just there and the Lord is so present in that declaration of faith it's so like unifying and just it's the symbolism is multifold which we'll talk about yeah but there is like a component of baptism that is meant to be representative of something in the like body in the church of like unifying believers and bringing people into the family. Like it's, it's, it's a joyful homecoming kind of situation. I just, I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about where it comes from. Why do we do this weird thing that only Christians do? And I didn't really think I realized this necessarily, but the like earliest origins in the Bible of true baptism, like being cleansed in the water and coming up again, Leviticus, Leviticus 16. And this was a priestly duty of the Levites, um, a symbolic cleansing in water before and after performing their priestly duties. So I'm going to read a few verses from Leviticus 16 In verse four, it says, um, he is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. And then moving on to verse 23. um, Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place. And he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. So this was a symbolic cleansing of the high priest before offering the sacrifice of atonement, which is a whole significant thing that we don't have time to go into in this episode. But this is all foreshadowing of Christ. Like everything else with baptism, this is all foreshadowing of Christ and something that is solidified by Christ later on. But Uh, As we go into the New Testament, John the Baptist is the first one practicing a baptism of repentance. So he is actively like taking people out to the River Jordan and to all these other places and like baptizing them, literally dunking them under the water, raising them up as a symbol of their repentance. And this is a foreshadowing of Christ, just like everything else that John the Baptist's ministry did. It like pointed to the Messiah and to the need for salvation. Yeah, it's interesting. I've always wondered about 
the symbolism before Christ's death mm-hmm. and resurrection because we talk a lot about how the symbolism is you being like put to death with Christ and being raised up with him. And so what was John the Baptist doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if we're going to cover this, but I've always been, I've always been curious. Like what, yeah. what was the symbolism that he was explaining to people? Yeah. So like I said a little bit, it's a baptism of repentance of sins mm-hmm. in preparation for the coming Messiah. Gotcha. So it's, so like, it's a, like a washing away. It's a cleansing yeah. and a repentance in preparation for the Messiah that's coming. So, he's, he's preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Yes. He's saying this Messiah is coming. Um, you know, he's a prophet basically mm-hmm. that's saying like, I'm making a way for this Messiah that is yeah. coming to deliver you and to f- forgive you of your sins. Well, and it seems like this probably more closely reflects that Leviticus account than what we are actually practicing today in baptism, just in the sense of like symbolism in yeah. of it being more of like a cleansing. And also, if you think about it, if you're being dunked for... Uh, like preparation for the coming Messiah, who's a sacrifice. That's what they were doing in Leviticus. You know, it's a preparation cleansing for sacrifice. So, And the Bible is full of so much symbolism. Um, You see a lot of things kind of repeating over and over again, water and fire and um, smoke and all these things that have different like incense and fragrance, like these things that have different symbolic meanings that are consistent from Genesis to Revelation and water is symbolic of cleansing, of forgiveness, and also of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So this like water that the Levites are bathing in, this water that even just regular Jews who are practicing Torah when they're cleansing themselves, um, that John the Baptist is baptizing people in, it's all symbolic of the effects of sin and mm-hmm. of the need of God to cover and wash those things away. Um, so it is similar and the same and still yeah. The same today in some ways, but now has this added element of the Holy Spirit, which is super cool too. Yeah. So specifically relating to John the Baptist here, like those who were baptized by John, who were like making a pro- public profession, uh, they were showing their faith in John's message yeah. of the kingdom of God and of their need to confess their sin, mm. of their knowledge that, hey, like, the law is good, but God is perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I fall short of the law and I need him to cleanse my sin. Um, just like all the Old Testament prophets and everybody had alluded to before, this is completely consistent with the entirety of scripture. And then interestingly too, Jesus himself is baptized by John mm-hmm. in Mark 1, 9. This is another crazy one. There's so much symbolism here and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and all these things where it's just like, what? Like there's so much going on. This is a whole study in and of itself. But this is a symbolic act of Jesus, like identifying himself with the sins of humanity, right? Where he's saying like, I have taken on, I will take on your sin. I will become sin, Mm -hmm. even though I am sinless to forgive you and to to cleanse you once and for all, right? So John himself, when he's like baptizing Jesus, he's like, I don't need to, what are you talking about? He's like, like, you I, want me to do what? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't baptize you. Like I'm unfit to do that. But Jesus like tells him to proceed. Like, and he says, let it be so. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Um, so Jesus was doing a couple things here. He's putting a stamp of approval on John's ministry and John's yeah. message saying, what you are doing is right. It is, directed by and prompted by God, the father. 
And also it is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So it's like this handing off of like, okay, you have prepared the way. Now I have come. The Messiah is here. Mm -hmm. He's making this proclamation. A lot of people probably didn't understand the significance of in the moment. But It's like a consecration. Exactly. It's Jesus being cleansed. And also the symbolism here, like we're talking about the Levites, Jesus stepping in as high priest. He's saying, I have been cleansed to come and to make the atonement sacrifice. It's so beautiful. I mean, when you really look into all the symbolism, it's just amazing. So there's something else I want to like, this is a bit of a tangent, but it's kind of cool and like Bible nerdy. There's this like study among biblical scholars and theologian of like the seven baptisms in the Bible. Have you ever heard of this? Mm -mm. It's like these seven symbolic quote unquote baptisms in scripture. And the first one is considered the baptism of Moses. This is Israel coming through the parting of the Red Sea. Mm delivery from slavery, um, God's presence, like coming and guiding his people. Moses, who we've talked about before as a Christological figure, figure passing through the water and initiating a new life into freedom and the law and the hope of the coming Messiah, right? Then we have the baptism of John, which we talked about, the baptism of Jesus, which is number three. And then there is this like baptism of fire, which is a really interesting thing. And there's some scriptures in Matthew 3, John 5, Matthew 13, Revelation 20 of um, Jesus like talking about a cleansing of fire, judging the world for its sin, yeah, a harvest, right? Like as when Jesus talks about like his winnowing fork, um, clearing the threshing floor, gathering wheat. This is all like very heady stuff, but it's interesting. Next one, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Um, and at salvation, we are baptized by the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit enters us, comes into us, makes good on that promise to give us a heart of flesh from a heart of stone. Um, next one, baptism of the cross, which this one's super interesting, but Jesus like used the language of baptism to refer to his suffering. And there's like a, a verse in Mark 10, 38, where, uh, James and John, like the sons of thunder, yeah. love, love those guys. I love them so much. Big fans. Um, yeah, they're so great. Uh, but they had like come Jesus asking for this place of honor. And Jesus asks them like, can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And um, like, he's speaking to his crucifixion. Yeah. He's speaking to his suffering. Um, yeah. This one's interesting. I don't fully understand it, but whatever. And then the last one is the baptism of believers. So the washing in water to symbolize the action of the Holy spirit in the believer's heart. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about today. We're going to get there. A lot of the basis for this, there's a lot of basis for this, but um Matthew 28, Romans 6, we're going to get to all of it. So anyway, a little nerdy detour for us, but I think it's fun. (laughs) So fun. Uh, So the significance of baptism as a New Testament ceremony is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. So when you literally go under the water, Mm -hmm. it's a representation of dying with Christ, being crucified, the old self, the sinful man dying under the water and being raised up out of the water to walk in newness of life. So reference for this is in Romans 6, 3 through 4. Actually, just read Romans 6. There's a lot there that you should go back and look into. But this talks about a lot of the foundations for baptism and being crucified with Christ and all these things. Yeah. Um, and Jesus actually commanded baptism. So in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, so there's a really simple formula in the New Testament that happens in Acts and over and over again, but people hear the gospel, they accept it, and then they are baptized, physically baptized in water, dunked, brought back (laughs) up. And so we know that from 
not just the earliest days of the church, but from the beginning of God bringing about salvation for his people, that the cleansing with water, the symbol of baptism was something that God put a stamp of approval on and then something that Jesus continued and then something that Jesus commanded to continue through his disciples. So um, there is every reason, like this is a beautiful, rich, symbolic, historical, necessary part of a believer's life. But this is where the discussion splits off a little bit. There's two main views of baptism. One is called baptismal regeneration, where baptism is a necessary component of salvation. This mm-hmm. is something that if you are Catholic, um, this is part of the like catechism of yeah. the Catholic Church. Protestants, however, firmly disagree on this issue. Protestants believe that um, in f- salvation by faith alone and not works. So mm. this is like one of the big splits. We're going to talk about it when we talk about more of church history. But we would say, and I would argue that all of scripture firmly backs this up, that baptism is not a requirement for salvation. Jesus does not teach this. Mm-hmm. However, it is an act that should follow salvation for all believers. Well, it's an outward expression of an inward change. Exactly. So it's not, it isn't the inward change. It's like right. the fruit of. Right. Something here, an example of this, uh, the thief on the cross right? Mm. That the thief on the cross next to Jesus who receives the kingdom while talking to Jesus, Jesus says, you're going to dine with me today in paradise. Like you, he's promising him salvation. Yeah. Obviously he is never baptized. Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) we, he is one we know of that was never baptized uh, and is saved and in heaven. Can we get a bucket of water? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Jesus got a bucket of vinegar. Um, (laughs) Too soon. I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there, there's <laughs> 2,000 years later. Too yes. Soon. So I want to take a second here to look at some of the differences between Protestantism and Catholicism in our views of baptism. And I want to kind of defend what mm-hmm. the Protestant church would say here. Um, this um, is one of my biggest points of disagreement with the Catholic church, I would say. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I'm going to link a Felicia Masonheimer podcast episode on this in the show notes. I should have listened to that before I even wrote this. It's, but she's I don't just even covering, need to. Why would I? She's done all the work. Right. Go listen to Felicia. <laughs> I know. But she's uh, she covers the different views of baptism and it's just very factual yes. and really informative. So yep. I'm going to link it. It's fantastic. Um, I forgot about that. It's so good. But... um. Another thing I want to mention here, a resource before I move on, is actually gotquestions.org because I this was super helpful to me in writing this episode. Um, but it's an app you can get for totally free or it's a website you can look on and you can search by topic. So you can literally look up baptism. And there's a lot of like specific verses that are sticking points between denominations yeah. um, that they go through. It's like Mark 16, 16, John 3, 5, Galatians 3, 27, Acts 2, 38, Acts 22, 16, 1 Peter 3, 21. Literally, if you search baptism and got questions, they go through those verses, which are all of the ones that are like primarily touted as like, this is evidence that baptism is required for salvation. Yeah. And they break it down and show you why the Bible is consistent in a salvation through faith alone situation um, and why that is not what those verses are are saying. So again, I'm not trying to get in anybody's business mm-hmm. here, but I firmly believe that that is what the Bible teaches, that salvation is by faith alone, uh, through grace, not by works that no one may boast. And baptism is a symbol. And if it is 
requirement for salvation. It is a work that saves us, which I yeah. cannot, I cannot align no. with the truth of the Bible. So, but it is extremely important and everyone should do it. That is saved. <laughs> so differences here. The Catholic church has a stance on infant baptism that all should be baptized as babies if possible, that baptism is a the first sacrament. So it's the prerequisite to all the others. So to communion, to all these things, um, to marriage, all this stuff. And that baptism is an absolute requirement to be saved. We're going to probably talk about this when we talk about the CCC, like the yeah. catechism of the Catholic Church. But we do not agree with these things. Um, baptism is a like sacrament in the sense that it is a an act of consecration and communion with the Lord and a necessary like work of the church in the world today. But we do not think it is a requirement to be saved. And I also would argue that infant baptism is not correct or necessary. I mean, Um, there's no grasp of what it means. So it's not a choice. I mean, is it like sinful? No, I don't think so. But is it something that is like necessary or best practice? Also, I would argue no. no. Again, godquestions.org has a great article on specifically infant like pedobaptism is what it's called. So go look that up if you want to. But here's some of the like Protestant differences here. The Bible says to be baptized once we have faith and repent of our sins. So some verses referenced here, Acts 2, 38, Mark 16, 15 through 17. What I would argue here and what Protestant scholars would argue here is that no one should be baptized in the faith of their church. Like no one should be baptized into their parents' faith. Yeah, That baptism is a like personal expression of faith and repentance. So it doesn't really make sense for infants to be doing that. And if it doesn't save you, it's of no value, right? To infants. The next thing is that the Bible says we receive the Holy Spirit when we have faith in Christ. The Catholic Church, their stance on this is that you receive the Holy Spirit when you are baptized. Mm. Um, We do not agree. We believe that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit as part of salvation, like in the moment of salvation that happens. That um, the separate. Yeah, that the physical baptism is like a symbol of. So next here is that there is no other way to receive Christ but by faith. Works, even like baptism, even the work of baptism, are not the reason a person is saved. And so a verse here that I would turn you to is Titus 3, 5. So again, don't want to get too deep into that. We'll probably talk more about it when we talk about CCC. But another thing that this is a total tangent, but I think it's really important is baptism of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, baptism on behalf of the dead, baptism for the dead. And this is something that's practiced in Mormonism. This is something that's practiced in a few other like sects that... It's real janky. It's real janky. And there's a lot of reasons biblically for this. Again, I would point you to go got questions are because they have they have a fantastic just like list of all of the scriptures of like why this is yeah. heresy not biblical but something that I think is important to talk about here and I I was trying to think of the best way for us to like sprinkle these in but I think the best way to do it is just as topics come up and as different creeds and councils come up that we're discussing in church mm-hmm. history that we just whenever we come across one we just explain it really fast yeah. but specific heresies in church history. Mm-hmm. I would like to make the argument for you today that when you find a practice or something that you discover is rooted in heresy Mm -hmm. in the church, that every red flag, every alarm in your book should go off and you should walk away, (laughs) walk the other direction. (laughs) Um, But something interesting that I found out here, and I have some 
resources that I'll send Katie that I can link for us here. Sounds good. Is the heresy of Marcionism. Okay. This is one of the earliest heresies of the church. And this came about in like the second century, around 140, 144 AD. And this is by a guy named Marcius, who... Oh, Marcius. Marcius, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Silly guy. <laughs> silly, silly guy. He was actually like kicked out of orthodoxy <laughs> by other church fathers, um, like Roman orthodoxy and all of the like prominent church fathers of that day, like... You're done. Yeah, for his for his beliefs. And you're going to understand why. This ha- His official, like, <laughs> get in the boot was in 144. So he had his whole belief, Marcionism, was a sect that was a moral critique of the Old Testament God. So there's quite a few problems here. But he, like, completely denied the God of the Old Testament. Like he, there's like a literal split. There's two gods. There's a God of the Old Testament and there's a God of the new and argued that Jesus was, his parentage was the new God of the Old Testament. He was not a messianic revelation of the Old Testament God, that the Old Testament God is cruel and insidious and merciless and all of these things. And that there's two different gods. And then the God of the New Testament came in and squashed the God of the Old Testament and brought about Jesus. He also argues that Jesus was not human at all. Jesus was fully God and he was kind of like an angel cloaked in humanity to look like a human to the rest of this, to the rest of the world, right? All of these things, major first tier absolute heresy that does not align itself with the rest of scripture. So he had his own canon that removed all of Old Testament. There was no Old Testament books included in his canon that had his own gospel that he wrote. None of the other gospels other than Luke. Crafty dude. (laughs) Other than Luke. He liked the gospel of Luke. And uh, 10 epistles of Paul because he liked Paul. So that was his entire canon that he promoted as correct. And important to note here is that literally (laughs) the great majority of like church fathers and people who were connected to the direct teachings of the apostles and had been taught by people who had been taught by the apostles and all this stuff completely rejected everything that he said and said, no, thank you, sir. Absolutely not. Even in his own time, he was an offshoot. Yeah. He was, it, it was like, like a, bro, you're kind of, yeah. you're weird. <laughs> like when we've talked about like first tier issues, he is wrong on all of them. Yeah. Like absolutely incorrect. And sure. Like this is his own great sounding little religion that he has, but do not make the mistake. This is not, biblical Christianity. It's just not, you cannot believe in two gods. You cannot believe that Jesus was not (laughs) human in some way. Yeah. Defeats the whole purpose of all this beautiful symbolism that we've talked about. Um, It's just not Christianity. So there's historical evidences that point to this specific sect to Marcionism as the first to practice proxy baptism. So the first to practice baptism on the behalf of others or on behalf of the dead. Again, don't need to go. His like writings have been lost. So this is all based on, (laughs) this is all based on writings of uh, church fathers later on. So like in the 300s and 400s and whatever, um, referencing him historically. But when that is the foundation of a reason that you practice something, like when true heresy is the reason that something has been brought about, uh, there's no, there's like literally one passage by Paul where like there's a phrase like baptism of the dead that is used but every like 
good hermeneutical understanding of that passage is referencing to not literal baptism of the, like on behalf of the dead by Christians who are alive, it has to do with the resurrection and all these other things. It's like symbolic of other things. So again, I will link some resources for you guys on this issue, but uh, just a quick, do we think, or does the Bible teach baptism, proxy baptism, baptism on behalf of the dead, baptism on behalf of other people? No, absolutely not. I want to just insert here, if you're like, what are you even talking about? They believe that you can be baptized in place of somebody who has already, who has already died. Yes, that's and that's important to Yeah. So it's like, oh, my my grandpa died and I he wasn't a Christian or whatever. He didn't he never got baptized. I'm worried I want him in heaven. I'm gonna get baptized mm-hmm. on his behalf. So super just obviously heretical, I feel, but yeah. just just so you know what it is. Yep. <laughs> um yeah, and interesting just tidbit here. That's why the Mormon church does so much with records and you know, yeah, lineage and things like that, like ancestry.com and all these things that they've like, because they're actively trying to baptize on behalf of the dead yeah. um, ancestors and all of that. And I think things. you have to be related to the person in order to be baptized. Yeah. I'm not, them. I'm not sure how it works in the Mormon church. All yeah. I know is that this is not something that's rooted in scripture no. itself. So, uh, and not rooted in solid church tradition in any way. So, there you have it. There's a little refresher on baptism. baptism. It's going to be something that comes up later, but whenever we talk about it, we'll say, go listen to that episode mm-hmm. that we released before this and you can learn more. We will link a bunch of resources on this for you, but toodles for now. Toodles. <laughs> Ta-ta. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>